If, if there's really a new pathogen, a new virus, we will not see it coming. This is Transmission, the podcast of the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Antwerp. In this podcast, we will uncover the mysteries of diseases that impact us all and delve into the cutting-edge science of keeping people healthy. We invite you to look over the shoulders of the experts who make it their lives' mission to improve global health. In this first episode of Transmission, you will find out where outbreaks start and why, and how viruses evolve. Transmission, your front row seat to the world of health, science, and beyond. On Wednesday, the 29th of September, 1976, a special package was delivered to ITM, the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Antwerp. It was a cheap thermos flask made of glossy blue plastic. The thermos contained two test tubes filled with congealed blood from a sick Flemish nun living in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which was called Zaire at the time. One of the test tubes was broken, so some blood got mixed with the melted ice at the bottom of the flask. Peter Piot, a young researcher who had just started working at the lab, and two of his colleagues set out to examine the blood. Little did they know that they were handling one of the most dangerous substances on Earth, without any protection. One day later, on September the 30th, the nun died in Zaire, but she was not the only one. The mysterious disease also killed several local residents. Peter Piot and his team were urgently called to investigate the case on-site. Not easy, because due to the outbreak of the disease, the region was in lockdown and no one could get in or out. Nonetheless, the ITM team travelled to Zaire and tried to find transportation that would get them to the lockdown area. But first, we need to back up a little. The story of our mysterious disease actually starts earlier. Six days before the researchers at ITM received the blue thermos, Jean-Jacques Mouyembe, a Congolese microbiologist, arrived at an empty hospital in Yambuku, in Zaire. This was uh, a terrible disease. At that time, we called it mysterious disease, with a lot of uh, deaths in the population and also among the nurses. The Minister of Health sent me to Yambuku. That was uh, in uh, 23 September 1976. And when I arrived there in Yambuku, the hospital was empty because the population fled the hospital, saying that uh, this is the place of death. Muyembe quickly finds the only two other residents of the hospital, a mother and her child. Not much later, the child dies. The mother leaves the hospital. The place is completely empty now. Muyembe goes to sleep. The next morning, as people hear Muyembe has been sent by the central government, they start to line up at the hospital, hoping he has medicine for them. Muyembe starts doing what he's trained for, collecting samples and investigating the disease. He also has to draw blood. At that time, I didn't think that it was a, a dangerous or a extraordinary uh, disease, uh, because the disease was like uh, malaria, like typhoid fever. Muyembe looks for gloves, but can't find any on the hospital premises, so he starts working without them. The syringe to take blood plunges into the arm of a patient, but when he removes the syringe, 
something unexpected happens. The puncture doesn't close. It starts gushing blood. My finger was uh, sore with, uh, with the blood of the patients. So immediately I asked soap and water to, to wash my hands. Otherwise, I will not be here with you. <laughs> yes, yes, I survived. I was lucky at that time. So this, this was my first encounter with uh, this, uh, this virus. Dr. Muyembe goes on to investigate the disease to see which action he must take. At the lunch, we were invited by the sister, the nuns there from Belgium. So uh, they told me that uh, one of the nuns was uh, ill and she was working also in the hospital. So we concluded that uh, the disease is very severe there. Uh, we must go back to Kinshasa to accelerate the diagnosis of uh, this illness. Uh, so we decided to, to leave the mission and uh, we took with us this uh, Belgian nuns um, and we uh, traveled to Kinshasa. He then takes blood samples but not much later. The situation of, uh, of the sister we bring to Kinshasa uh, started to worse, and it is why we decided to take blood and send to ITM here, uh, where uh, Professor Piot was working. Realizing he was dealing with a mysterious and deadly disease, he puts the blood samples into a glossy blue thermos that he sends to the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Belgium for further investigation. Here, Peter and his colleagues open it up and examine its contents. They found that um, the disease was caused by a virus. Peter and his colleagues also see the danger of the disease and rush to Zaire and to Jean-Jacques Muyembe to support the search for the source of this unknown outbreak. The pilots don't like to have to go to the quarantined area to drop off a bunch of researchers. After they have unloaded the last box, they shout, Bonne chance, and fly off. Jean-Jacques Mouyembe, Peter Piot, and the rest of the team remain behind to search for the source of this unknown outbreak. Later on, this virus will be uh, called Ebola, Ebola virus. So this is the, the, the long history of, uh, of the disease, yes. Ebola is one of the deadliest diseases we know. The outbreak in 1976 would eventually kill 280 people in Zaire. But it wasn't the last one. Since its discovery, there were several big Ebola outbreaks with the biggest one in 2014 causing more than 11,000 reported deaths. But Ebola isn't a standalone case. Infectious diseases such as Covid, Dengue, Zika and different kinds of flu seem to be appearing more and more aggressively throughout the world. Researchers globally are discovering new infectious diseases at an unprecedented rate. And more and more, these diseases push against the limits of our health systems, threatening to become the next global pandemic. I don't believe we will we'll have a pandemic at some point in time that, that kills uh, the last man on Earth. This is Kevin Arian, virologist at ITM. But will there ever be a new pandemic that kills millions of people? Yes, that's a guarantee. And that disease will probably come somewhere out of the jungle. It already exists there, and more and more people are invading its territory. 
were flying high above the Congolese rainforest, a jungle about two million square kilometers in size, an endless sea of trees. It spans six different countries. This mind-blowing place offers a safe home to thousands of species of trees, plants, and animals. From elephants to gorillas, but also birds, fish, insects, snakes, and rodents. It's a hot, brooding sea of green that stretches endlessly when viewed from above. We're underneath the canopy now. The light changes. The trees filter the sunlight. It is full of insects. An elephant would be difficult to find. Here and there, you hear squeaking and the rustling of leaves. You hear a droplet falling from a leaf, a leftover from the last storm. But then in the distance, you hear... Joseph and his friends left their village early this morning and have been on the road for several hours now. In the Congolese rainforest, there is industrial forestry, but wood is also felled for daily use. Joseph knows the forest very well. He's an expert in how to survive here. He knows where to put his feet and what animals to look out for when he pauses near a river. He knows the plants he can eat and those he should really stay away from. But despite the fact that he knows this part of the forest like the back of his hand, what he doesn't realize is that he's in a killer's territory. A killer he can't see or feel. It isn't a predator that eats him from the outside, but a virus that will attack him unknowingly from the inside. It's a virus that floats around in the body of a jungle rat or bird, but will soon make the jump from its normal host to Joseph's body. Of course, the virus doesn't attack consciously. It doesn't wait in the branches of a tree, ready to jump onto a passing lumberjack. No, a virus is sneakier than that. It relies on casual contact. We don't know how this transmission will happen. It could be a bat that Joseph startles in a cave, the fleas of a rat he'll chase away, or swift contact between a small scratch on his hand and the blood of an animal he shot on his way home to cook. How it happens, we don't know. But it is certain that somewhere, somehow, a virus will see its chance to jump from the animal to Joseph's body. Such transmissions from animal to human are not rare at all. This probably happens multiple times per day on this world. This is Kevin Arian again. Luckily for us, a virus that is transmitted to humans typically cannot do anything inside the human body. It is a strange environment that the virus doesn't know and in which it cannot reproduce. In 99% of the cases, we don't even know that we were infected. But... In very exceptional cases, that person could die. And if we are really unlucky, the virus feels at home in our bodies and is not only transmitted from animal to human, but also from human to human. And then we're in for one hell of a ride. Ebola is a virus that is regularly transmitted from animals to humans. The Spanish flu, which killed about 30 to 50 million people in the beginning of the 20th century, also took the jump from wild birds. There are many more viruses that decided to make the leap and enter our bodies, like the regular annual flu virus, but also COVID, mpox, 
Lassa fever, Marburg, Zika, and many, many more. It's like an experiment of nature. Viruses are, are extremely diverse and, and they come in, in different flavors. Um, nature has tried out every possible thing with viruses and that is still seen today in the diversity that, that viruses represent. Viruses often look like a kind of ball with spikes or in the case of Ebola, more like a walking stick. This is really close to the perfect pathogen. They are constructed very simply out of a bit of genetic material with a smidge of protein and a thin layer of fat to encapsulate both. That's it. With this simple build, they can inject their genetic material into us and make copies of themselves using our own cell infrastructure. That's what fascinates me. That's the beauty of viruses, the fact that they're so simple, yet can have such yeah, profound effects on their hosts. Viruses evolve quickly. And unlike bacteria, you cannot treat them with antibiotics. They are extremely diverse and can be deadly, from MERS to SARS and from yellow fever to swine flu. And on top of that, we don't have a good understanding of how viruses do what they do, even the ones that have been circulating in humans for a long time. Kevin, for example, studies dengue at the ITM lab in Belgium. Here, they have a high-security biosafety level 3 lab, specifically designed for working on dangerous pathogens. People die of dengue every year. And it's not well understood um, why that is, that the pathogenic mechanism of that virus is not well understood. And we don't even know how the dengue virus makes people sick, a virus we've already known for years. So it's even more difficult to understand diseases we rarely come into contact with. For many of those viruses, tests are not yet available or will not be available. Most new and unknown viruses hide inside the animals in the forest, and most of them stay hidden there too. They multiply in the cells of a rat, a bat, a monkey or a bird. They usually do not kill the animal, but live a happy life far away from humans. There's a lot of, of animals in, in the wild that carry viruses. But they can only be transmitted to humans once we get into contact with those animals. When we go into the woods and start shaking the trees, we shouldn't be surprised that things fall out. The virus for the next pandemic is already circulating in one of these animal species. This is Lawrence Liesenborgs, infectious disease expert at ITM. If we enter and we disturb their habitats and increase our exposure to these animals, uh, of course there will be much, much more spillover events. When we shake a virus out of its regular host, by killing the animal host or by destroying its habitat, the virus has two options. It has to find a new host, a new kind of host, or go extinct. It's not that viruses target humans especially, but if you look at the world from the point of view of a virus, we offer a magnificent feeding ground and a marvelous target with all our billions of human bodies. And the more habitats we destroy, the more animals have to move around and the more interaction there is between us humans and those animals. We cut our way through the forests of Congo. We cut roads through the Amazon, through the forests of Borneo, Madagascar, New Guinea or Cambodia. We build villages very close to the edge of the forest and we eat the meat of animals we catch there. And, yeah, that will give us more problems. This is epidemiologist Kathy Kreppel. More pandemics and new pathogens that are totally different families than what we've dealt with before. 
in Indonesia now you get certain monkeys coming closer to the people working in the palm oil plantations. There are mosquito species that used to only sting monkeys and other animals in the forest. But due to the increasing interaction with humans, a new malaria parasite has evolved inside these mosquitoes. It's simple, constant. The mosquitoes just had monkey and people available at all times. And then the parasite, just one of them, had a little bit of a DNA change and suddenly it could replicate in a human. Nature has to adapt to humans and infectious diseases just follow along. But it doesn't always have to happen in the forest either. We eat meat from densely packed industrial farms where we push animals as closely together as possible, creating the ideal circumstances in which viruses and parasites can multiply in the animals we later eat. And also we humans start to live closer to each other. By 2050, it is expected that we hit 10 billion people globally and that up to 70% of that global population, so 7 billion people, will be living in, in cities. And the, the biggest cities already today, but also in 2050, are found in Southeast Asia. So a lot of people are living close together in Southeast Asia, a region where a main source of fresh food are wet markets, places where you can get live animals that are sometimes slaughtered at the market. That makes those wet markets places with an intense contact between a lot of people and a lot of animals. Diseases such as SARS, MERS or COVID all originated in Southeast Asia. So those, those circumstances will only increase, will only become better in the years to come. Combine those factors with the rising international plane travel and someday in the not too distant future, a new infectious disease will make the leap from animal to human again. That disease will feel at home in our bodies and eventually be transmitted from human to human and cause the next global pandemic. If we know that infectious diseases are a big problem and if we know that a pandemic is coming anyway, can't we prevent it or at least prepare for the next outbreak? Every infectious disease has its own riddles to solve. In which animal is it located? How is it transmitted from person to person? And how do people deal with the disease? We need a team to keep watch and at the same time tackle the intricate enigmas of every possible disease. And that team exists. They gather people from all around the world, from Asia to Africa. They keep a watchful eye. They guard the boundaries between humans and infectious diseases. How are they solving the complex problems that the disease puts on their path? That is what we'll find out in the next episodes. We'll get stuck in the mud on our way to remote villages, pitch our tent under a tree full of snakes, and see entire laboratories descend from the sky as we follow experts around the globe in their quest to understand the world of infectious diseases. I think yeah, the most stressful moment, period of my life, I wouldn't recommend it to my enemy. Thanks for listening. Join us next time when we unravel the complex riddles pathogens throw on our path. For more information on the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Antwerp, please go to itg.be slash podcast.